Welcome to Series 1, Episode 6 of Distinct Poplar, a twice-monthly audio fiction series written and read by Matt Herzberg from www.distinctpoplar.com. This episode is titled, Not in Anyone's Lifetime, Part 3. Chellen was outraged. She could feel her cheeks go red hot and her brow moistened. The very idea of her standing there awkwardly was both embarrassing and infuriating. So she stuck the notebook back into her bag, angrily crossed her arms, and began to fume with uncharitable rage, so white hot that she might as well burn right through her seat. And that's how it would go for her for most of the rest of the day, her anger only subsiding briefly between class periods until she was tired of hearing Blixit mindlessly drone out the word, Lunch. In response to whatever situation was called upon him by their teachers, How could this be, she thought to herself, practically screaming inside of her own mind. How could the boy not seem to care one way or the other about his notebook? Chelin knew that if it were her, she would be a frantic mess, eager to find it and keep the notebook safe from the hands of the other kids in their classes, the typicals and the roms alike. It wasn't until the break in their class schedule together that Chalin fully found the means to let her anger be released. Letting the better part of her nature take over, she ultimately pitied Blixit and his harmlessly lackadaisical nature that really did not affect anyone but himself. The notebook was probably very special to him, and Chalin would hate to keep that away from anyone So when it came to the last period, when the two kids rejoined each other for their final shared class of the day, Chellen returned what she had stolen. All she had to do was simply take the notebook in hand, turn around in her seat as though she faced him, and press the notebook into his hands. Which all sounded good in practice. But when it brought her face to face with the boy's wide-eyed stare of complete and utter shock, when Chellen turned, Blixit shuffled uncomfortably in his seat. His surprise at their sudden face-to-face encounter was quickly overshadowed by an expression of terror once he saw what she was holding. It was as if Blixit's face was threatening to boil over like a kettle, His upper lip trembled, and his mouth fell open. His breathing had seemingly tied off, and his forehead began to moisten so much that Chellin thought she might see steam spout from his hair follicles. Nervously, 
Blixit accepted the notebook, sweat beating across his forehead quickly and then shooting down the sides of his face. His eager fingers clamped down tight like a bear trap before secreting the book away to safety. Once it had been returned, she noticed that it had been zipped up twice inside of an over-elaborate backpack in which one of the straps was securely set around Blixit's left leg. She supposed that just in case it should have the opportunity to be snatched away from him again. And for a brief moment, once the prize possession was secured and the boy turned back towards the front of the class, then Chellen and Blixit sat awkwardly face to face staring at each other with no real reason. It was a strange game of chicken where neither one of them could look away until class started and Chellen had no choice but to keep staring, unwilling to relent. There within his hazel eyes, the two of them were nervously locked inside the confines of their own private struggle, only broken when the teacher formally announced that class had started. In that moment, it was as if they both looked away at the same time, and Chellen could turn around to face the front of the class, while she heard deep sighs of relief practically tumble forth from Blixit, as if he was perched just over her shoulder. Because the boy sat behind her, Chellen had no idea what the next stages of his reaction were after that. Terror at first, but then she hoped that would subside, and her only opportunity would be to corner him after class. Why are you making these death drawings of yourself? She would ask. What do I have to do with any of this? And why are you watching me? For the whole rest of the class, her mind buzzed with anticipation. Her senses acutely aware of every shuffle, sigh, or shift Blixit made behind her. Each time he moved, her skin grew goose pimples. Then, she thought she heard him move behind her. If she wasn't mistaken, she thought she heard him unzip the backpack as well. Before long, she heard him scribbling from behind her and guessed that it was the sound of Blixit and his notebook back in action. Though she dared not chance a look over her shoulder, she was convinced that he was hurriedly scribbling away. But why? She wondered what he was doing exactly. The pen strokes were so rapid and furious it took all of her concentration to stay focused on the lesson, or at least keep up the appearance that she was focused on the lesson. To Chellen, the scribbling was so loud she was afraid he'd be disciplined for disrupting class. Yet nothing seemed out of the ordinary to the rest of the students. At the end of the period, she finally had enough and could take it no longer. She turned around and decided to confront Blixit about his incessant scribblings and for whatever reason, ask him what they had to do with her. But by the time she had finally turned and the scribbling had stopped, the notebook snapped shut and then quickly placed into her hands, which were at the ready for the scolding that would now never take place.
the notebook, was hers once again. This time given up willingly and not stolen. The smooth surface, the metal coil of its binding spiral, it was in her hands, and she would be anxious to be rid of it. Whereas before it was something she was returning, a closely guarded and previous secret thing that if discovered could get the boy expelled. Now it was given back to her, and right in front of everyone. The strange drawings inside were now her responsibility, and if discovered, she was now an accomplice to its very existence. After all, had she not drawn a picture of her very own in the book as well? Immediately she was self-conscious of what she held and wanted nothing more than to hide it. Perhaps with more speed than the original stealing of the notebook, Chellen shoved it deep into her bag before anyone had a chance to notice, and she was turned around to face the front of the class. And then the bell rang, and Chellen all but let out the largest sigh yet, this one of huge relief. She stayed glued to her seat as the rest of the students stood and nearly shot out of the classroom with excitement at the day's end. Blixit J. Block was the last to leave before Chellen, slowly standing up behind her. His chair screeching across the floor was almost deafening in its sound in an otherwise empty room. He passed her by then, without even a glance, slightly hunched forward, his eyes hidden from the tangled mess of hair, and his gaze glued to his feet as he awkwardly put one foot in front of the other, as if the ground were slightly uneven but only just for him. And then he was gone. On the bus ride home, Chellen had the opposite reaction as before. Instead of being inexplicably drawn to the journal notebook, she was now utterly repulsed by its presence. Instead of checking on it during her walk home, she fantasized about throwing it into a nearby public city trash can, a large waist-high bowl of twisted metal sides, its belly overflowing with takeout boxes, bags of dog poop, old cans, and used cardboard. Chellen wondered what the harm would be in sending the despised notebook of Blixit's drawings into the can with the rest of the garbage. When she arrived home, her parents asked her about her day and she told them, I don't care, and they said, cool, and they left her on her way up the stairs. Once she was in her bedroom and the door was securely shut and locked behind her, Chellen fished out the notebook from her bag, as if it were scaled and slippery to the touch. Retreating beneath her sheets and covers, Chellen brought out the book in front of her and braced for what was bound to be a terrible discovery. Chellen reluctantly flipped the three pages that sat almost invisible in between empty lined notebook paper. There, on the page titled, Not In My Lifetime, was a new drawing.
whereas before the page had been almost completely blank, there was now a hastily drawn image of a girl being killed, a girl who looked just enough like Chellin. She gasped and had to sit up immediately upon his discovery. Cradling the notebook up against her knees, she examined the deathly depiction of her drawn self with close scrutiny and skepticism. Chellen was drowning. Her mouth was wide open as bubbles of air escaped like a swarm of bees fleeing a submerged hive. Her arms were shooting towards her throat, where cartoonishly simple hands cupped her chin, almost as if to suggest her very head might pop free from her neck. Her beautiful long brown hair had been depicted as a tangled mess of harsh pen strokes, and her eyes were empty of pupils, devoid of life. Now she really was dead, just like him. How Chellen felt about this piece could only be summed up by her complete and utter disgust for it. The drawing was disappointingly simple and crude. Her features had been hastily scribbled and seemed harsh. Her body was flat and so uniformly rigid you could barely tell she was a girl. At a second glance, she was fairly certain that she could have been mistaken for a boy with long hair. Completely disappointing. Blixit's other drawings, the ones of himself dying, were incredibly well done. Unlike this messy rendition of what was, to be honest, a pretty boring and uninspired way to die as well. And although Chellen didn't have Blixit's artistic skills, she was certain that her own death drawing of him was far more creative. So she turned to the page, Your Lifetime, to reappreciate her own drawing. And that's when she noticed that Blixit had slightly altered it. Most of it was the same. The drawing of Blixit being devoured by several duelgies. What Blixit had done about it was gone back into her drawing and added little hats to all of the little rat-like creatures. There was a top hat for one, a police officer hat for another a construction worker's hat yet still, and lastly, a bombin cap like the ones worn by the men of Almer's Way neighborhood. She was amazed at the level of detail the tiny hats possessed, while yet remaining so simple and perfectly placed. In fact, if she hadn't drawn the original unaltered version herself, she would have sworn that the hats were part of it in the first place, even though they were done with ugly blue ballpoint ink. Chellen laughed. It was so cute to her, and it made her smile. She knew just what to do next and flipped back to the other page. Not in my lifetime. Focusing on the many air bubbles surging from her mouth into the empty water of the page, she set out to detail each one with additional markings and features to make them all into bumblebees. 
The process of altering each of the many bubbles into bumblebees took up the whole of Chellen's evening. At dinner time, her parents called up to her, and Chellen did not respond. So they left her alone and congratulated themselves for being good Rom parents. The next day at school, she found Blixit waiting for her in first period. He was sitting in her seat, wide awake and attentive. When she walked up to him, his eyes found hers, and a quirky smile played across his lips. The boy was very proud of himself, she noted, and yet nothing was said between them. Not one word. Chellen dropped the notebook on the surface of her desk, where his awaiting hands quickly snatched it up and safely deposited it back into his book bag. Then he stood up and shuffled over to his own seat, planted his face down on his desk, and closed his eyes. By the time the other kids came strolling into class, Blixit J. Blocked was fast asleep, a puddle of drool already slowly forming under his soft breathing lips. From that point forward, the two kids exchanged the notebook frequently. Without saying one word, the book of drawings was given to the other in their first period class. The receiver updated the appropriate page with a continued drawing that showed the other dying in some over-the-top and cartoonish way. Chellen was burned up in the sun. Blixit was being slowly vaporized by a laser. Chellen was being stepped on by a giant rawlock. Blixit was frozen and shattered into a thousand pieces. All of his deaths took place in Not In Your Lifetime, and all of Chellen's deaths took place on the page that said, Not In My Lifetime, and all of it went on for a couple of months straight without any disruption. After enough time had passed, Chellen felt like she began to get to know the boy. She felt like she understood his odd sense of humor and his lackadaisical attitude. By observing him in their other shared classes, she saw a person who truly seemed to care about nothing. He rarely did homework, he barely stayed awake during lectures, and his test scores were mediocre at best. In Blixit, Chellen saw her opposite. Someone who was just barely hanging on to any semblance of an academic career. And that frightened her. Doing well in school was very important to Chellen. Roms weren't allowed to befriend typicals. Which up to this point she was able to observe properly. Technically they weren't friends. Just two kids playing a drawing game which was more than she should be engaged in with any typical. But still, that didn't necessarily mean they were friends. In general, Chellen didn't really have any actual friends, just other Rom acquaintances. It seemed to her that friends cared about each other and got invested in each other's lives. That's what she felt like was starting to happen here. She was starting to, well care about this off-putting boy at school who seemed just as lonely as she was and because of that 
this drawing game of theirs would have to end. But that didn't mean it had to end now. After all, there was still something that Chellen needed to know. If you like what you've been hearing so far on the podcast, please consider rating and reviewing Distinct Poplar on iTunes, Google Play Music, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Positive reviews would be a big help, and I truly appreciate it. This has been Series 1, Episode 6, Not in Anyone's Lifetime, Part 3, by Matt Herzberg. Copyright January 31st. 2018 from distinctpoplar.com Music for this episode was done by Chris Zabriskie, except for the outro music. For more information, check the show notes in the episode description. For more stories like this one, ebooks, and more information about the city that forgot to stay clean, check us out online at www.distinctpoplar.com or through our social media. Just search for Distinct Poplar on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Stop by and say hello.